It's time to discover your spiritual identity with your host, Mike Shree. There are hundreds of names and titles given to God's people that powerfully reveal who you are, why you exist, and what your purpose is in this world. Each one pulls back the veil of a different aspect of who you are in Christ. Once you learn these names and titles and apply them to your life, you will rise up boldly to be all that God has called you to be. Are you ready? Here's Mike Shree. In 1 Corinthians 3.9, the Living Bible, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are referred to as God's garden. Can you imagine God referring to you and describing you this way as his garden? Now, we're going to find out that that is a corporate title that rests upon all of the people of God worldwide. And it's also an individual title that rests upon you in your relationship with God. But let's go into the idea of what a garden is. A garden is a haven of rest. It's a sanctuary of solace, a place of peaceful beauty in a world that is often stressful and painful and disappointing. And for those who feel numb and lifeless from an overload of mundane responsibilities. A garden can be an atmosphere of fresh inspiration and creativity, stirred by all the delightful fragrances of the flowers and the symmetry of shapes of different plants and the complementary contrasts in color. It's just almost like a heaven-on-earth feeling. And because every expertly planted garden is reminiscent of Eden, the thing that God slowed down the creative process to make, it can almost become like a portal into a celestial world for those who are born again, for those who know Jesus. Walking in a peaceful garden just has an effect on your mind. It has an effect on your emotions where it just connects you with heavenly things in a very powerful way, in a very beautiful way. There's no magic there. I I just believe the atmosphere in a beautifully planted garden just sets your mind on heavenly things if you let it. See, God slowed the whole creative process down in the beginning and planted a garden in Eden. Why? Why slow down the lightning-fast chain of events? Let there be light, and it exploded into existence. Let there be a firmament, and it exploded into existence. Let the dry land appear, and it exploded into existence. Why did God slow down that process and create a garden? Why did he plant a garden eastward in Eden? Because there's something about God where he enjoys the lightning fast obedience to his authority and instantaneous creativity, but he also likes to slow things down and watch things grow. Isn't that why you and I are in this realm of time? Because we don't become fully mature in Christ overnight. It's a growing process. And every one of your hearts is like a garden, an individual garden that the master gardener himself is working on. What amazing thoughts are coming to me right now. What amazing symbolism and metaphorical analogies when you start thinking about a garden. Now, the first garden was called Eden, and that word Eden means delight. 
because it was a delightful thing for man to walk with God, for Adam and Eve to converse with God in the cool of the day, to see him and to commune with him and to communicate their heart to him and receive his heart's communication in response. That's just beyond the description that I could give it in words. What a rapturous union between God and those that were created in his image. And then, of course, the fall took place and Adam and Eve were exiled from the garden. But not only were they exiled from the garden, their hearts became darkened with many negative emotions. Their minds were contaminated with all this uh, garbage that came as a result of the fallen state. And they lost their garden heart status. God was no longer walking in the garden with them. And they were no longer like individual gardens that God walked in. And so they lost it. But the redemption process is all about Jesus reclaiming what was lost in the beginning. And so the bride of Christ is like a garden to him. Now, that passage of scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9, where we're referred to as God's garden, is in a book of the Bible that also identifies these new believers in a very negative way. It's not a list of who's who in the church, but rather a list of who done it. Uh, in fact, let me take you to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. That's where Paul said, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And then he gives a long list. He says, Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And then, shockingly, he says, and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So, the Corinthian church looks like a former garbage dump with a lot of sin-stained souls. But in chapter 3, verse 9, he doesn't call them a renovated garbage dump. God calls them his garden. That's the kind of transformation that takes place with salvation. No wonder the prophet Isaiah said that God beautifies the meek with salvation. He beautifies our lives and makes us a welcome place that he can visit once again. Now, this revelation is rooted all the way back in the most beautiful and mysterious book of the Bible, the Song of Solomon. And then it stretches its limbs out through the writings of the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah. So let's go to some garden scriptures that talk about this and and so that we can relate to this beautiful, poetical calling that rests upon the people of God. In the Song of Solomon, which incidentally is an exchange of compliments and beautiful statements between a bride and her prospective bridegroom. The bridegroom is a shepherd king who represents the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our shepherd king bridegroom. And of course, the bride of the Song of Solomon represents all of those who are married to him in a covenant relationship. Now, the shepherd king bridegroom 
is describing his bride in chapter 4, verses 12 through 15, and I'll pull out the most important parts. He says, a garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. And then toward the end of that passage, he says to this garden-like bride, you are a fountain of gardens, a well of living water and streams from Lebanon. So to begin with, he calls his bride a garden enclosed, and then he calls her a fountain of gardens. And symbolically, to me, that represents the fact that the bride of Christ in its entirety is like a single garden enclosed with a protective barrier of God's keeping power, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed because there's a river of living water that flows out of every one of our hearts that mingles together as a gushing fountain of worship ascending up toward heaven. But then in verse 15, uh, this bride is referred to as a fountain of gardens because every individual believer is like a unique garden that God visits in order to experience peaceful communion in a world that often strives against him, a world that is full of even those who hate God and hate his laws and, and despise his word. But when he comes to the bride of Christ, he finds a peaceful haven he finds a place where he's received in a world that rejects him. No wonder in verse 16 of the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, the bride says in an invitation to the bridegroom, let my beloved come into his garden. Let my beloved come to his garden and eat its pleasant fruits. So it's a garden filled with fruit that is nourishing nourishing to the soul. Well, what kind of fruits are being referred to? In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, the Bible says, let us offer unto him continually the sacrifice of praise to God, which is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. So we invite the beloved bridegroom into his garden where he can receive the nourishment, the peaceful communion that we extend to him with our praise, our thanksgiving, and our worship. And that's not all, because in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, we find the list of the nine fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, so when Jesus beholds his divine personality taking over in our lives, taking over our minds, our emotions, our actions, our reactions, then that's something very appealing to him, very satisfying to him, very nourishing to him in a sense, because he sees us reflecting his image and his characteristics in our way of dealing with others, and our way of living life. Isn't that just a beautiful thing? Let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. I invite him to do that right now. Also, let's go to Isaiah 58 verses 9 through 12, because in that passage, not only do we realize that we are a garden that God can visit, but we are a garden that the 
estranged people of this world who are cut off from God, who are miserable, who have broken lives, who have destroyed hearts, damaged almost beyond repair, how they can visit us and discover a place of peace and through us find the Prince of Peace. And so Isaiah 58 verses 9 through 12 depicts the bride of Christ as a garden that the people outside of a relationship with God can receive from. He tells us how to qualify for this calling. First, he says, if you take away the yoke from your mist, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness. No, other words, if you if you quit being a judgmental, critical, condemning person, constantly trying to put other people down, and if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall rise in obscurity and your darkness shall become as the noonday. The Lord shall guide you continually and satisfy your soul in draught and strengthen your bones. And here's the key part now. He says, you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. So God says, once, once you get your attitudes right, once you're not out to criticize and put down and contemn and ostracize others, but you reach out to the world with compassion, you become like a watered garden that they can visit and a place of springs of living water where the thirsty can drink of the truth, the living waters of the word and the spirit that can bring sustenance and nourishment to the most starving heart, the heart that is starving for the truth and almost about to die of thirst from being cut off from God, separated from God. You can become the catalyst for a restoration of relationship to take place. And finally, not only is this a calling that we fulfill in this fallen world, but this is a calling that we fulfill eternally. And I love the next two passages of scripture I'm going to close with. In Isaiah 51 verse 3, God is reaching out to the future and he is describing the coming state, the wonderful messianic era when Jesus will rule and all things will be restored to Eden-like paradise where those who delight themselves in the Lord and receive the desire of their heart are not just few and far between, but the whole world is full of Eden-like inhabitants who delight themselves in this relationship with God. Isaiah 51.3 says it beautifully. Now the Lord shall comfort Zion. And incidentally, Zion is a name not just for Jerusalem, but for all those who identify with Jerusalem as their eternal capital city. Now listen to it in an eternal sense. The Lord shall comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. So one day, all of this dry, arid wilderness world will no longer be something we have to face. It's all going to be like Eden again. And then Jeremiah 31 verses 11 and 12, 
and I'll pull out the most important parts. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him who was stronger than he. Therefore, they will come and sing in the height of Zion and will be joyful over the goodness of the Lord. And then he said, listen closely now, their souls will be as a watered garden. Everything's thriving, blossoming, bringing forth fruit eternally. Their souls shall be like a watered garden and they will not sorrow anymore at all. So from time to eternity, we will fulfill this calling to be God's garden. Now, once again, let me emphasize, like the Corinthian church, you and I may have a past that we wince when we think about, we grieve over it, we think it disqualifies us. We think we're of no use to God sometimes. How could he love me? How could he include me? And yet you are not God's renovated garbage dump. You are a new creation and God calls you his garden. What a wonderful thing to think about, to ponder on all day long. I look forward to our next session together, finding out who God says you are. Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given his people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled, Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.